What is good, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the podcast. Uh, I apologize for no episode last week. You know, between sick children and car problems, it was a very eventful week. But we are back, and we're back today, and I am excited for this episode. And it's not just because of the text itself, uh, which is exciting. But if I'm being honest with you, I'm more excited about getting through this today so that next week we can get into John 3.16, the most known, the most quoted, and unfortunately, one of the most misunderstood passages of the Bible. It often gets quoted, and uh, people just kind of quote the part that they like, and then they completely leave out the rest of it, and the rest of it as far as I'm concerned, uh, has some very, very important things that we should know and understand. And it's necessary that those things are included with the more popular message of For God So Loved the World. But with that being said, that's not our focus today. Our focus is on John chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. And if you remember from last episode, Jesus started to roast Nicodemus. He's roasting him because Nicodemus a Pharisee, someone who is tasked with teaching the Hebrew Bible to Israel, Nicodemus was completely ignorant to the scriptures that spoke about God renewing the heart of his people. And we broke down last episode how the heart in scripture uh, does not refer to the physical organ, but that the Bible views the heart as the center of who you are. It's where you have thoughts of where you have desires it's it's where you you feel pains it's it's where you feel break in your soul the the heart is the center of who you are so when jesus speaks about being born again he's pointing to the old testament scriptures that explicitly show god's future plan to create within his people new hearts aka new humans and Nicodemus was confused. He, he didn't understand what Jesus was saying. So Jesus calls him out. He says, uh, aren't you a teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things? So that's where we left off. Jesus starts his butt-chewing of Nicodemus. And guess what? He continues that today. He continues that as we go on into verse 12 through 15. So like we always do, let's just read through this passage, and then we'll break it down verse by verse. So starting in verse 12, Jesus says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So let's break this down. Starting in verse 12, once again, Jesus says, If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, here's something interesting. What Jesus refers to as earthly things and what we may refer to as earthly earthly things seem to be a little bit different. You know, often, at least in kind of the modern church, we, we speak about being reborn and being saved, we refer to these as spiritual things, right? The spiritual in nature. They're they're not things of this earth. They're 
They're spiritual events that take place. And in one sense, they are. But it seems to me that in the eyes of Jesus, the idea of being born again is an earthly thing. It's not a heavenly thing. It's an earthly thing. Let me explain. Jesus is questioning Nicodemus's capacity to understand things, and he doubts that old Nicky could believe revelation about heavenly things because he can't even believe the revelation that Jesus has shared with him about earthly things that can be seen and observed. Jesus tells Nicodemus that he doesn't even believe the earthly things that Jesus just got done telling him. So what's happening here is, is for the reader, Jesus is informing us that what he just talked to Nicodemus about is earthly things. Let, let's recap real quick the things that Jesus just got done telling Nicodemus that he's questioning, hey, if you can't even believe the things I just told you, what makes you think you can believe these heavenly things? So, so let's recap and let's just read again what Jesus told Nicodemus, the things that Jesus classifies himself as earthly things. Starting back in verse 5, says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, so what, what did Jesus just say? What, what, let's break this down. He says, you got to be reborn. You got to be reborn of the Spirit and water. We explained the meaning of that in the previous episode. He says that if you're born of flesh, it's flesh. And if you're born of the Spirit, it's Spirit. He says the Spirit is like the wind and those born of the Spirit also. And to reiterate again, <laughs> you must be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And so these are the things that Jesus told Nicodemus, that Jesus himself classifies as earthly things. These things that Jesus just explained to Nicodemus, he's saying, if you can't even understand the earthly things that I just told you about, what makes you think you can understand heavenly things? Now, although these elements involve the work of the Spirit, right, who is not bound to earth, he's not bound to a physical nature, all of these actions for the believer in all of these events, they, they take place here on earth. <laughs> this is what it means for these things to be earthly things. Being born again takes place by your decisions here on earth. And so for Jesus, he, he's thinking, oh, Nicky, 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 old Nicodemus, you don't even believe in the, the fundamentals for entry into the kingdom of God. You got to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Like this is just, this is the first step. <laughs> and if you can't even believe that part, Nicodemus, what makes you think you will believe any of the countless unbelievable things that the heavenly things I could tell you about would entail? In other words, it seems like Nicodemus has a predisposed belief of what can be and cannot be. 
And that belief will keep him from the truth that Jesus is trying to share with him. You know, it's similar, this idea of having predisposed beliefs that automatically just block you from taking any steps in a certain direction. It, it's similar to the problem that uh, quite a few, if, uh, or maybe if not all, atheists have when it comes to something like the resurrection of Christ or even just miracles in general. Because we believe the resurrection was a miracle. Since obviously people do not just come back from the dead after being dead for multiple days. So since this was such a a rare act, it was a miracle. God intervened into the, the system that we would refer to as just the laws of nature. He intervened and performed a miracle. But for atheists, they can't even make it to the resurrection claim. Because they hit a roadblock well before they can even get there. And that roadblock is that miracles are not possible in the first place. They have a predisposed belief that stops them from believing anything past that. Similar with, uh, with Muslims. I, I've been listening to a lot of Muslim conversations with Christians. And one thing that Muslims believe is that Jesus was not the son of God, that Jesus was not God, that he was just a prophet. Now, clearly, the Bible teaches otherwise. And what Muslims will often claim is that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus claim to be God. And so you can take them to a passage in Revelations where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the first and the last. And you could ask the Muslim and say, hey, Who's the only one who can claim to be the first and the last? And they'll say God. And then you say, okay, well, look at what Jesus said. This is what he claims. And they say, no, that can't be. Why? Why can't it be? Because Jesus isn't God. Because of a predisposed belief that they have about Jesus, they're not able to take the claim that Jesus makes about himself at face value because they have to uphold their predisposed belief. And this is the problem that we run into when we approach evidence for anything. Forget religion, just for anything, when we approach evidence and we're holding on to what we already presuppose to be true or possible or right or wrong, we cannot rationally and fairly judge the evidence for what it is. And this is the problem that Nicodemus is having. He doesn't see how it's possible for someone to be born again, even though the texts in the Old Testament clearly talk about God pouring out his spirit like water on his people and creating in them a new heart. The new heart, like we pointed out earlier in this episode and in last episode, is not just talking about a physical organ. It's talking about the epicenter of who you are. If God is putting something new in you in place of who you are, what does that mean? That means you are no longer who you were. You are a new person. You have been born again. And Nicodemus can't connect those two together. And it seems like it's because of a predisposed belief he has about what can and cannot be. Let's continue on. In the verse 13, Jesus continues. He says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So now Jesus is diving into some heavenly things, right? <laughs> he just said, Nicodemus, 
you're not going to be able to believe any heavenly things. But Jesus still goes on to share some heavenly things, right? This language of ascending and descending from heaven. Now, this verse can be confusing because depending on the translation that you're in, you may derive a different understanding, right? In the ESV, which is what I just read, it seems to indicate that at some point, Jesus, the Son of Man, as he refers to himself, uh, ascended into heaven and then came back down, right? If we just read it again, it says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So it seems on just the surface to imply that Jesus descended from heaven and that he also already ascended into heaven before he's talking to Nicodemus here. And the issue with this interpretation is that we have no record of that ever happening in the Gospels. And some people will argue that that this is John who is writing this once the church body of Christ has already been established and after the events of Acts chapter 1 where Jesus ascends, some people say that this is John just kind of adding in a little note at Jesus hinting at the fact that he is going to ascend. Similar to what he did in chapter 2 and verse 22 where he points out that the disciples remembered what Jesus had said earlier at the temple cleansing. Others hold to the view that some of the Greek language here should be translated a bit differently, like what we see in the New Living Translation in the NLT. Now, the NLT renders verse 13 this way. It says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Now, here, with this rendering, Jesus is just claiming to have come down from heaven and not yet ascend at some earlier point. That, that's, that's what he's claiming. Either way, however you want to take this, the message is clear that Jesus, the Son of Man, has come down from heaven. The, these are the heavenly things that Jesus is talking about. Because this isn't possible for a normal human. This isn't possible for a man to descend from heaven. So Jesus is making this claim about himself, that he descended from heaven. So what does that mean Jesus is saying that he is? He can't be a human being. He can't just be a, a normal human being. He can't just be a normal man. He's claiming to be divine. Now, thinking back to what Jesus just told Nicodemus, Nicodemus can't even get past this idea of being reborn, these earthly things. So how is he going to believe the heavenly thing that Jesus just shared with him, where Jesus claims to have come down from heaven? That's the tension here. <laughs> That's the struggle. And as the reader, after this interaction throughout the Gospels, we don't get an answer as to the final beliefs of Nicodemus regarding Jesus. We don't know if he accepted him as his Savior. We don't know if he just viewed him as some divine prophet to, uh, to some extent. We, we, just, we just don't know. You know, he saw Jesus perform miracles and teach. But now Jesus is telling him things from Scripture that Nicodemus can't believe. But regardless, Regardless of the state of Nicodemus's heart and what he can or cannot believe or bring himself to, regardless, Jesus still calls him to eternal life. Look at this, verse 14, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is calling Nicodemus and everyone to eternal life by believing in him. That is the linchpin for eternal life, is belief in Jesus Christ. I love the parallel that Jesus makes with Moses and his actions in the wilderness because he's referencing a situation back in Numbers 21 and the actions that Moses took actually saved life as well. Look at this. In Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, it says, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now look at this. Those who sinned against God were threatened with death by the form of a snake. Does this ring any bells? This is similar to how death was brought into the world because of the sin of Adam and Eve by the mouth of the snake in Eden. But here Moses lifts up the bronze serpent, and those who chose to look upon it would live. They would be freed from the snakes and death. Now Jesus sees himself in a similar vein as the one who must be lifted up, and that those who look upon him and believe in him will also be freed from death and the power of the snake. And looking back on the course, uh, looking back on the curse that God put on the snake back in Genesis 3, we know that the snake has been at work ever since the fall to strike the seed of Eve, which generally speaking is all of humanity. I mean, look at this back in Genesis 3 verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This constant battle. Obviously, we see Jesus as the ultimate offspring. But also, too, we can recognize that there is a constant battle. You see this all throughout the Old Testament, a constant battle between the snake and the seed of the woman. Those who choose to follow God and those who choose to walk down the path of the snake. But Jesus, acting as the new and better Moses, is offering us freedom from the snake and freedom from death. We have the offer of eternal life. And it all starts with the earthly things of being born again so we can enter into God's kingdom. The foundation of being reborn is looking to Jesus for life.